0: If it's a, if it is a really really bad fight that you choose to, then we just get to laugh at you for choosing it because we already know the pain that we are in for.
1: Um, well, I mean,
2: why? Well, I, yeah. I would never choose a bad
3: fight. I mean, not today. Yeah. Uh, are you sure?
1: Definitely not
2: I, I, today.
3: I, I mean, you went back and rewatched the entirety of the Yoel Romero Israel Sanya fight to write an entire article about it. So, you know. Yeah, but that was,
2: me, that was me on my own, and everyone knows I'm a freak.
0: To, to be fair to Dan, as a result of re-watching the fight, he also got some excellent timestamps for some classic reaction images. <laughs> like Joe <Yola> Romero <laughs> literally just shirt fronting Israel Adesanya while throwing no strikes. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That's true. Uh,
1: <clears throat>
3: all right. Uh, oh God, I, I'm being I'm being messaged by a patron asking me if I watch Castlevania. <laughs> Which patron is it? Is it Vaily? Well,
1: guess, guess. No. Uh, you, you got one attempt.
0: No. All right. Didn't he just <laughs> use his attempt by guessing Vaily?
3: Yes, he he did just use his attempt, and uh, it was actually correct. Who uh, so else would DM me at uh, fuck off o'clock in the morning to ask me if I watched some kind of anime? I don't know. Uh, I get a
2: lot of I get a lot of <laughs> weird DMs from people who are like, "Can you explain to me how Bitcoin works?" And I'm just like, "No, I have
1: other things to do."
3: Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: A, a I big find it of interesting
3: the... which which what what
0: oh, I just find it interesting that the two of you get annoyed with these questions, but I don't it's great it's absolutely no, i'm not great.
2: i'm not I'm not annoyed by them. I'm just very confused why they're asking me some random guy off the internet. I do find them funny sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, look so, at some these of fights. them are weird, some of them are weird, though, like. There's one guy who keeps asking me, he questions about what kind of narrative ludodissonance do you consider in this medium? And it's just like, just just write an article, on <laughs> and I, I can't answer that in like a simple, concise statement.
3: All right, I All guess right. a big part of the comedy would be me guessing uh, which way to watch, and then... To the Tony, okay. No, bad. For,
1: first
2: and foremost, none of them are bad. One of them is definitely I, way more one-sided than the
1: others.
3: Ah, uh, uh, fuck it. Вышел немец из тумана, вынул ножик из кармана. Буду резать, буду бить, все равно тебе галить. All right, <laughs> Tony McCallum.
2: Okay. Oh, thank God. Um. Yeah, okay, so we we should probably reintroduce this again. This is another recording for the um, the classic fight podcast thing that whereupon I lead men specifically or some other crazy person through a series of misadventures and watching good fights. For now, I guess we're doing boxing and then maybe we'll do other things. I I don't know. But um, anyways, we were originally going to do a Matthew Saad Muhammad fight, that's basically a fight to the death, except not really. But it's really depressing, and it is violent as shit. And I didn't want to watch it again. And Hax here is basically still traumatized from. I, I don't know what Hax's reason is.
0: <laughs> Growing up, mostly.
2: <laughs> that yes. Um. Anyways, that's why Hax doesn't want to watch it because I don't know. It's vicarious. PTSD, who knows. Um. So anyways, I gave a bunch of choices, and what you just heard was me basically going like, Iggy, you pick, because fascism culture, or whatever the fuck I'm talking about. Um, what? You, <laughs> so, anyways, we picked uh, James Tony versus Mike McCallum 1, which is genuinely a really, really high-level fight. Between uh, Mike McCallum, kind of known as um, a guy who never really got his shot at like the any of the Fab Four, like specifically Hagler and Hearns, would have been fascinating matchups, but didn't really get those guys because both of them kind of went different ways. It's it's complicated. I'm not about to pretend I'm super uber educated about it, you know. But um, Mike McCallum, famously known as the Body Snatcher. Really, really, like, technical, smart guy. Likes to attack the body, you know, nickname. But his main whole thing is, at this point, he's basically only lost once. And said lost to the perennial, yeah, some guy uh, named Sambu Calumbe. Stands as one of the most one-sided, fantastic performances ever by Bay, And uh, they had a rematch that is one of the greatest, like, two-way technical fights that I've ever seen in terms of, like, abilities. And McCallum barely edged that one out, so now he has his belt back, and he's basically otherwise unbeaten. And uh, Tony is kind of an up-and-comer. Um, Famously gets really known for becoming that guy who eventually loses to Roy Jones and then goes to cruiser a kind of um, undisciplined outside of training camps. But here he's kind of, like... In his young stages, he's like 23 against McCallum's like 34.
3: He's uh, not morbidly a beast, still, is what you're saying.
2: Yeah, that he's not horizontally challenged yet.
3: <laughs> he's so... not big and square. <laughs> oh, God was, damn, it, was, was, a... was he ever Was he ever I square? I think he was, I think he was uh, more like round. The <laughs> <times. The> Popeyes <laughs> do hit different
2: So, okay, okay. So, in all seriousness, though, um, so this is kind of like an old guard versus a young guard kind of fight. Um, And it's not just between uh, McCallum, who's basically super veteran and very experienced, very good, versus Tony being uber promising, incredibly gifted, cannot express enough how gifted a fighter James Tony is. Um, And this, um, both of them are tested enough kind of at this point, especially McCallum, and, and they kind of fight a 12-round 12 yeah, twelve-round fight that's kind of considered really, really cool for purists to study, just in terms of technique. And a fun fact, Marvlin Hagler commentates over it. I don't know if he's commentating over it in the video that I found, but uh, he commentates, and he does a solid job. On the other hand, the commentators do a shit job because they can't score, and this fight is really, really close and stuff. Um, that's really all I can say about it. It's, it's just really good and it's just kind of like a purist's kind of gem sort of fight. Um, if you want to follow along, the video that I chose is James Tony versus Mike McCallum 1. The YouTube account is George Crowcroft. Crowcroft, I think. Um, and it's about 53 minutes long. It's pretty darn good and I hope you enjoy I don't know if Hax has seen it I know Iggy probably hasn't seen it given his utter fear earlier that I was going to screw him by making him watch something terrifying like VTuber
3: things, I don't know but
2: I wouldn't do
3: that that. you should do that, just not with me (laughs) just invite someone else from the the fight site and then just kind of just dump a whole bunch of choices on top of their head to be able to
0: see Corone beating up some racists. That's the only VTube antics he wants to watch live.
3: Oh, yeah, mm. that, and I also want to watch, I want to listen to, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say Ed, just writhing in agony. Watching, I don't know, I, and I fucking uh, incredible video. And an incredibly passive, video.
2: sad voice just goes, "Oh man, what is this? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore." Hey, he, he's doing that thing; that's kind of cool. Oh, oh well, then he kind of died. Oh man,
0: I didn't want that to happen.
2: Oh, that's, you see, that's,
0: that's, that's a... why Ed's making the wrong career choices in life. If he just became like the equivalent of a twenty-four hour newsreader for Doomer Twitter politics, he'd make so much money. <laughs> like just uh, another bad thing happened in in a part of the world you probably you probably haven't you probably haven't heard of nobody really cares so i'm just going to go eat my cereal and in, in silence and play with my dog dfs <laughs> like members
2: as just news readers ryan just basically goes like this is shit and just like i've i like my interpretations of these events instead Sharam, well, everything shit, but you know what? Rafael Sanchez sometimes throws a pretty good right hand.
3: In retrospect, in retrospect, I think uh, Ed would have been a perfect candidate to watch and commentate the Saad Muhammad uh, Johnson one fight. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Have him watch it with Taylor. And I reckon I haven't watched it with Taylor and the brothers too, I think, because like <laughs> Taylor would go out of his way to like annotate and that's and if you look carefully, Ed, that punch is where Matthew said Muhammad lost his, <laughs> his ability to speak coherently. And that punch took his ability to wink to his kids. Like and you can just see Ed just dying inside of every punch. Uh,
3: well that's an also Ed has stated multiple times that uh, he can't really watch boxing fights because they're too long. That, I mean, and, to be uh, fair,
2: they're long, and if they are too long for you, that's okay. Just don't shit on other people for liking them.
3: <laughs> no, in fact, you <laughs> in, in should do that because it's funnier. That's actually true. true. But, then you, but, then,
2: but then you tell them that, well, you know what? Fighters like a Sun cell are pretty boring. So you know, it is what it is. If you can guess who I'm making fun of so
0: far in this podcast, you get a cookie. So perhaps we should give some context to why Tony was seen as such a, for lack of a better word, lightning in a bottle fighter
3: just coming into this. Because I think we need to give a... context. We need to give context to the fact that he's not round yet. <laughs>
0: yes, because <laughs> no, I think. I think why Mike McCallum is an exceptionally good fighter. He is a fighter that somebody who is relatively knowledgeable about the basics of boxing can understand if that makes sense. Like, you know, um, uh, hard-hitting technician, wonderful attention to the body, tough, durable, had a good sense of pace, you know, had a good sense of when to get the finish. But Tony's a little weird, and 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 especially when you're kind of seeing Tony really fight one of his first truly high-level opponents. Um, there's a lot of contradictions in Tony's style or what probably would have looked like contradictions to somebody at the time, you know? But now, obviously, looking back with the benefit of foresight and knowledge, we can appreciate how great a fighter he is and how he fought so maybe we should talk a bit about that and the fact that yes he's not around yet <laughs> <laughs> now i um
2: tony isn't quite my um niche kind of fighter that i understand perfectly but um tony's whole thing is tony liked to eventually as fights went on in his career before he became as we keep talking about round he slowly became he he kind of was more of a defensive kind of shell stylist kind of fighter and he kind of was good at like deflecting shots but also really excelled on the inside with like short hooks he was kind of a natural hitter too like not in like the julian jackson kind of like oh i'm gonna fuck you to death kind of power more like oh surprise i hit you you know
0: <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't directly compare his power with um, with a, any specific fighter, but I think I think it was was it Andre Berto who spoke about I fighting. Wouldn't, I wouldn't. I would,
3: would yeah. neither compare. I apologize <laughs> for the pause.
2: Jackson. See, I want to also specify. I wouldn't compare it. The to pause for a second. Way. I also want to specify the video and the sync tube we had set up started playing, so that's why there was a very long pause there
0: on my part. Okay, so we should reset that. But while we're doing it, um, we should. In in the in the case of uh, you know, Tony. Firstly, yes, uh, there's a lot of stylistic comparisons that are made. When we talk about Tony to some old school fighters like Ezra Charles, Archie Moore, you know, savvy defensive geniuses who were prepared to get dirty and cheat quite blatantly in order to get some wins in, you know, clever, clever ideas, you know, but also application of certain fundamental basics, you know. Uh, Bladed stance, keep your chin behind your shoulder, you know, being very disciplined and very naturally intuitive at holding those accommodations when you're fighting in the pocket, stuff like that. Uh, and, And, you know, I think in particular, it might be a little hard to see the technical nuances in this footage, a YouTube footage, if you can get better quality footage of a Tony fight or, you know well, probably can't really get one of an Ezra-Charles fight, but get the best quality footage you can and watch these guys because, in particular, how wonderfully aware they are of their head positioning and their hand fighting in the pocket and in clinch exchanges. It's defensive wizardry. Um, you know. Or maybe if you can't get good quality footage of those guys fighting, go watch a Floyd Mayweather fight and pay attention to how... Efficiently and intelligently, they use the clinch and they position their head and they position their hands in order to maintain defensive positions and you know get some hits in. Because if if you don't learn that stuff, you won't make a lot of sense out of how Tony fights.
3: Yeah, and a lot of people tend to uh, tend to describe these fighters in this um, in these terms of oh they are just they were just a wizard they were. I don't know, defensive sorcerers, and that you can't really fight the same way that they they actually fought, when in fact, uh, the things they did uh, was just was just a really good implementation of uh, basic fundamentals. It's just, uh, if you, I guess I'm reinforcing the points uh, that Hex uh, brought up, uh, <clears throat> if you want to learn uh, if you want to see how basic fundamentals are implemented at the highest levels, then you should watch these fighters. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, and I think with Tony, I think everybody will focus on different parts because he had so many wonderful components of his defensive defensive layers that are worth talking about. So I'll just mm-hmm. maybe focus on three that I, I think people would be good to, to focus on. The first one I would say, you know, I'll always say it, I'd probably say it more than anyone on the fight side, is take a look at his footwork. Take a look at where his feet are because a significant component or at least a notable component of um, Tony's defensive styles was he was quite good at bending or ducking at the waist, like waist, waist-centric waist body movements to avoid punches, particularly uh, his opponent's, I think, right hook. I always found that was interesting. You know, he he used a Philly shell, but he was also very, very good at dodging those overhand, you know, arcing blows. So take a look at his feet. Take a look at his feet, where they're positioned, where the weight transfer is, when he is slipping and when he is bending to dodge, you know, overhand shots. And I would also say, at least for me, um, the other one that i, I mean, I'll never shut the fuck up about it, just take a look at how Tony uses his jab because Tony is a very good study, I think, in how he can use his different types of jabs so stiff leading jabs jabbing from like a low position so an uphand jab or even jabbing off the backhand to set up his right hand because some fighters will use their jab to bait a response and kill you you know the uh, Duran is is one of the great examples. Some fighters will use their jab to establish distance and as their primary scoring or damaging weapon. But I think Tony in particular is worth studying to see how he uses his jab to set up his right hand. And that's particularly interesting because Tony is kind of one of those fighters that, you know, if you really kind of want to nail his style, he's an amazing counterpuncher who can fight exceptionally well on the inside, And it's very, very tough. So when you think about a Tony fight, a big part of his winning condition is how is he able to fight on the inside, counter-punching with his fast hand speed and using his toughness. So pay attention to stuff like that and see how he uses his jab to pull all of that together.
3: Some might also say that his uh, ring craft wasn't all that because he was... uh, Some people say that uh, James Tony was too willing to go on the back foot and uh, too willing to fight off the ropes when... uh, uh, when in fact it's uh, this um, this tendency really only only played to his strengths, really in retrospect. So uh, while you may criticize uh, his uh, <clears throat> sometimes, uh, uh, you may criticize him for sometimes willing uh, too for being too willing to go to the ropes. But it's still he he does plenty of really really solid. Uh, uh, good work from uh, from the ropes while fighting off the ropes with his back flat against
0: the ropes. And the other thing is, as Tony was often fighting up weight, you know, particularly towards the later end of his career, um, you were going <laughs> to you are going to have limitations when you fight up weight classes. You're going to have to, I think, in many situations. Um, create disadvantages to leverage your strengths, you know, like we've kind of mm-hmm. discussed this before in other fights, every fight has habits and some of those habits are exploitable. So when, you know, there are definitely things that Tony does that aren't optimal or were mistakes, but part of the reason he made those mistakes or did those optimal things were in pursuit of a win condition because, you know, the other guy was bigger or the other guy was younger or, you know, uh, Tony's style didn't match up in a way that allowed for any other strategy. Sometimes you have to fight the not perfect fight to get the win because it's the best fight you can fight. And Tony is a really interesting fighter to study because so many of his fights are like that, I think. And trying to learn where he made the right call to fight that way or he actually probably did screw himself over by spending too much time on the ropes is an interesting intellectual exercise that might teach you a lot.
2: I think uh, with fights like these, uh, there's so much that's happening. This is kind of a fight that's best for like rewatches and kind of just paying attention to like little subtleties of what's happening. Not just from Tony that we keep talking about, but from McCallum too. And on that note, I think just because it is a long one, I'm going to go ahead and start it. For those who want to follow along, uh, you can follow at starting at the 610 mark on the video I mentioned earlier.
1: And I'm going to start it in three
0: two, one. Uh, Is it just me or is even it funny to think even back in these days, I don't believe these height statistics.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another uh, fun fact about this fight is a, not only is it kind of a battle between like two high level technicians, it's kind of their coaches too because um, uh, Tony's um, coach, I think uh, I always forget his first name. It's um, help me out. It's something Miller. Oh God, Bill Miller. Bill Miller. Jesus Christ, I'm I'm drunk. Kyle,
0: um, like like I just woke up screaming in the dead sweat. Disappointment at you. Kyle's
2: gonna kill me but he retired because he sucks so you know what it's okay um yeah so Bill Miller really really underrated coach basically is in Tony's corner for this one uh McCallum's side is Eddie Futch who is famous for you know training guys like Joe Frazier Ken Norton Alexis Arguello
0: the list he's goes on. The, he's the Henry Hooft of yeah. boxing. Every now and again he'd get a fighter just to fuck with Ali. Like, come on, let's have another go. I've figured you out. <laughs> I'll
2: do it again. That goofy that goofy meme face. I'll do it again!
0: Oh god, any fudge's face redone as a goofy would be incredible. Oh, oh, oh fucking do it again. I'll fucking do it again.
1: We've <laughs> just been banned. <laughs> yeah this nope. episode has so far been
2: kyle rolling in his grave being like you're all hurting the integrity of the boxing historic kyle
0: <laughs> say that he doesn't think
2: that i would that kyle, de-
3: kyle doesn't give a shit about the integrity of boxing in fact he believes that there's no integrity to boxing whatsoever except for that he would be right
2: Kyle still corrects me on things and just go like, Well actually Dan, this happened was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot about that.
0: Taylor's the one who'd be rolling <laughs> <bed> the
2: right
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Quickly, one of us shit talk Cuban so Taylor can burst into the recording and be like, What
3: oh! Immediately Tony gets to work
2: with uh, with his jab. It's not just Tony, it's McCallum too. So uh, basically this fight, we talked about Tony's jab, a lot of McCallum's main success comes off of his jab and it's all about l- like little re-implementations and then just starting again with both guys.
0: Yep. I-, I love baited. how early these guys establish the threat of hitting the body there. Like damn. None of this MMA yep. shit
3: you do it in the second oh. round. Oh. Yeah, and, uh, and there's straight also to exchanging.
2: Yeah, and little threats like a short little, almost a shovel uppercut by McCallum to like threaten that level change. It's like you're not getting in that easy, and then like using the jab to like reposition but keep Tony at bay.
3: Yeah, he used it to dissuade Tony from uh, jabbing to the body too much because it's what Tony did in the first seconds of the fight. And you can
0: also see that Tony doesn't want to chase after McCallum's able to <laughs> stretch and reset distance a bit. Mm -hmm. one interesting thing that i like some of my coaches back in the day spoke about mccallum that they really admired was they they said mccallum had an almost transactional style with his body attack he'd hit you a few good times in the body and then he'd he'd almost bank that in his head and be like ah well i hit him a few times in the body i can run away to reset distance which he almost did back there about 10 seconds ago the other
2: thing is like mccallum's actively breaking those tie-ups so every Like, that's kind of Tony's game, even at a young Tony at this point, so even McCallum knows, like, I don't want to give you that kind of advantage where you can leverage that, like, power you have, or, like, superior speed at this point. It's mostly just, I want to get on the outside and keep working you with my jab to
0: control this range. And compare the way McCallum is fighting and jabbing with, say, a mixed martial arts striker. Just look at how clean he is, but also he's not, set, he's not dissuaded by, oh, Tony counted me on the way in, like in that last exchange. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make some small variations in timing. I'll step back. I'll step in. He keeps the pressure up, but he's calm.
2: I talked about rhythm in my recent piece with Ray Robinson's jab, but you can see a lot of it implemented with other height level boxes like McCallum here. There will be points where he'll throw a jab, and at the same time, Tony is throwing
0: back, and McCallum's already stepped back and is jabbing again, or or changing even the speed. And that last exchange, Tony actually hit him like three or four times in the space of a second. And McCallum is like, okay, that's his hand speed. We're playing this game. Like he's not dissuaded by his own strategy because he has moments where it doesn't work out. Like there, like Tony comes in, steps across to the
3: side, hits him three or four times with lightning fast speed. McCallum's like, okay, pace. And I mean, not to shit on Max Holloway, of course, but Max Holloway, with him, it's very evident that uh, in order to keep up the pressure, he needs these constant resets. He either needs to stay on top of you at all times, or he needs to reset. And uh, sometimes, uh, well, for example, in the Dustin Poirier fight, Dustin Paul, you used that to <clears throat> to stop Max Holloway from building momentum. Meanwhile, here McCallum really isn't really being stopped in his tracks by St- Tony's hand speed or anything. And if you look at Tony, and I think this is the second round,
0: right? It's skipping through the this break. This is the second Tony round. Is, yeah, Tony is now going, okay, I'm going to pick my single shots a bit better. I'm going to stand in front of him a bit longer for extended exchanges, and I'm going to pour my jab a little more. So even though Tony is Tony's showing his depth compared to somebody like Max Holloway, he's not dissuaded by the fact McAllen can hit hard, hit fast and knock him out of his rhythm. Okay, I'll adapt. I'll find counter-punching opportunities.
3: And that's the thing, and uh, got peppered with a counter combination by McCallum. Yeah, and he, even though,
2: McCallum isn't dissuaded either, like, you can notice little subtle things, like, when they miss something, they turn into something else, like, right there, they're, like, turning like little inside exchanges where both miss into an opportunity to counter, so, like, Tony ducked down, oh, we're on the inside now, can't get things done, we separate again, Hmm. back to resets.
0: And even though Tony got hit by that counter combination that Tim was talking about about 10, 15 seconds ago, Tony saw that McCallum was loading up and he still got a first good, you know, good. I think it was hook in. So Tony's like, Tony okay. liked
2: that a second ago. Yeah. Tony liked that a second ago. That's like a little learning experience. Oh, you can turn someone and hit them. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, because Tony knows even if McCallum might be landing the biggest shots in the first three or four seconds of the exchange, he can get some really good counters in and abuse his pan speed advantage if he drags exchanges out, kind of like what Max is doing to Aldo. So you know, even if he's quote unquote losing an exchange, the information he's learning is teaching him to get into the situation right there where he's he's dragging some shots out with McCallum now.
2: Yeah, both of them have been manipulating like the inside a lot, like how they've been using their. F- frames to just manipulate and like a few minutes seconds ago, Tony like turned McCallum's own frame against him to hit to the body. And there McCallum's like using the frames to try to get it back. Another cool mm-hmm. thing McCallum's been doing is um Tony's been using a cross arm guard. Like that's the other thing about high level boxers. You've seen them employ different levels of guards. And so Tony's been employing a cross arm guard that makes it hard to like hit him in the center. So McCallum kind of takes a slight step off to the right and then hits like behind that forearm, like slightly raises it.
0: It's just little subtle things like that constantly going on. Also, other things is like because of that, because of the cross arm guard, there are situations where Tony just simply isn't throwing in fights. McCallum is using openings to just throw with real power onto the guard to cause damage and stay active in some of these exchanges, or just throwing with early power in an exchange. Ooh, Oof, the down—that's Tony at his best. Well, his best. Yeah. Most...
2: Referee calls it a slip.
0: It's weird on the replay because I can.
1: It's
2: weird on the replay. His His right hand is always interesting.
3: He kind of of shifts into it, shifts into South Pole, and then uh, kind of shoulder butts the other guy to prevent uh, prevent them from building or retaliating. It's a good example of how sneaky
0: Tony's power is in the sense that, take a look here, he shouldn't be able to, from that position, hit so fucking hard and fast, but he does.
1: Yeah, so I don't blame is, the ref this for calling is kind this of a co- slip,
0: though. This is kind of hard to call from the ref's position if you look. Yeah, the shoulders of McCallum are blocking. Yeah, I don't.
2: I would. I'd agree with the ref personally. It's a. It's a weird one, though. Like in it the moment too. Of,
3: it kind of also got hit on the equilibrium spot, mm. so it's it's it does seem like an equilibrium thing more than a. Well, I guess it's a flash knockdown.
2: It's also happening really fast, so the ref has to make that decision on the spot, and
0: like that's a tough call, but you know And it's interesting because we've already seen the stylistic preferences of both men show through. McCallum is trying to dominate the flow of exchanges with some high power shots. Tony is prepared to drag these exchanges out so he can find a way to get in. And but they're both willing to stand at exchange range and exchange to find openings. There's this
2: saying by Ray Robinson that's really important. It's like never let the opponent fight their fight always find ways to like fight yours even if you're not able to get that and like one thing Ray Robinson did was I'm not an infighter but I'm gonna find ways to manipulate the clinch to surprise people and so it's like Tony and McCallum are finding ways consistently in this fight to mess with each other so it's like Tony's like hey I'm against a guy who's kind of having a more active jab I'm gonna use my rear hand to parry and then jab back at him to elongate those engagements and
0: get inside I think something that's really interesting about this fight, maybe than talking about technical specifics per se, watch how much attention both men really want to give to being the last punch in an exchange. They care so much about it.
3: Yeah, that's the thing I've always noticed about high-level <laughs> boxers in, in that uh, the best uh, boxers are usually uh, also the best round winners. And the, the best round winners are usually extremely... Uh, zeroed in on uh, on whether they've won an exchange or not, or if they Hacks. lost an exchange, they're always uh, uh, kind of like they always kind of want to try to get it back. And it's not an optics.
2: A, it's kind yeah. of an optic. It's an optics thing. Hacks. You've talked about how Floyd kind of got this better than anyone else. Not just like playing the system, but it's like it's been a part of the system for a while. It just constantly like knowing how to use optics, knowing how to look good compared to the other guy. So it's like punctuating the exchange is like one part of
0: that. I mean, one moment back there, about 20, 25 seconds ago, Tony hit some really hard, good shots on McCallum. Didn't stagger him, but you could see McCallum respected the power. Tony then, instead of trying to exchange in the next fight, just put his guard up and just took the shots on the guard. Because if you think about it from a strategic perspective, that's an extremely intelligent decision. I know I just dominated the last exchange. I know the judges see the optics. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take some time, stand at a range where I know you're mostly throwing straight, block your punches, and gather some data.
2: The the thing about Tony is like Tony has fought good guys so far in this career, but this is also kind of a learning experience for him too. And he's against a guy who's known for like a body attack. So it's like I can't just blow out all my steam. I gotta pick my shots against this guy. Mm.
0: And it's kind of like what we've said. So so for example, a lot of people in MMA, when they talk about striking, they say, Justin Gaethje just needs to walk people down and beat them up the whole fight. You don't need to even throw a punch to pressure somebody. If you look at some of these little moments where Tony has just had a dominant exchange or McCallum has just had a dominant exchange they stand inside the other fighters range and wheelhouse guard up, not really looking so much to throw as just you throw and I'll see what happens. I know I've got the, in brackets, lead of the last 15 seconds. You can pressure that way. Pressure isn't about what you throw, it's about the reactions you force.
3: It's about using your presence to make your opponent uneasy. But uh, uh, yeah, a lot of people kind of tend to be zeroed in on this idea that uh, Gage absolutely has to drag the pace by its teeth, by the skin of its teeth, or by himself, by constantly forcing exchanges. When, this uh, is a really, really great example
0: of a fight where both fighters are pushing at actually a massive pace in terms of pressure, but it might not look like that if you just watch the punch landed stats. Yep. It's
2: like uh, Iggy and I were talking about this, um, I think in our, outside of our last recording or just when we were watching a sod fight together, but it's like, if you've actually been like working the bag or like practicing shadowboxing even, or even sparring, like all that work together is a lot of energy. And these guys Man, are
0: constantly engaging Tony. Here comes the Tony hand speed. Sorry, like damn. <laughs> yeah. So, be Yeah, a fucking
1: this this, this, <laughs> yeah, this, thing, this round is
0: awesome.
3: This round's the really The thing good. about Tony's the thing about Tony's pressure uh, pressure is that he's always present there. He's always in range. And so by the sheer fact that uh, he's always in range that means he's always there to hit you. And so naturally the opponent is uh, compelled to do something about it and expend more energy. Th- yeah.
0: I also think that picks up on another thing. One point that I, I think, um, I think it was Feno that made this point originally, a lot of MMA fighters with multiple defensive layers will panic and use all of their defensive layers at once to stop one shot. Take a look at some mm-hmm. of Tony's, situations here even when he's just getting jabbed so he's, he's using head movement to avoid like just straight blows sometimes it doesn't work but it says something extremely important about tony's efficiency and intelligence that he commits to the head movement he doesn't also go oh god i better run backwards and throw my hands up no if he get if, if mccallum's good enough to punch him and his head movement isn't good enough he'll take that hit but it's more efficient to fight this way it's more intelligent yeah. to have faith in your abilities and not overuse them yeah it's also still you have to pair with other things like tony is good
2: with head movement but he's always has that rear hand and he, oh and look yeah. at it
0: there just here we the go McCallum shot that looked nasty
2: here we go oh. this is where the round gets really good catch and We're pitch counter almost it felt like oh there we go <laughs> yeah like, tony's that getting very oh there's the inside. the inside there's the inside
3: the roblox oof sound <laughs> oh look at that and, and you can kind of see it because McCallum's
0: not punching straight as much. He's not moving in between his punches. Oh. And Tony this, is just slugging him. McCallum took him
2: Yeah, McCallum took him off guard there
3: by like jabbing inside. It's like, hey, I can make this an inside fight. I too. like how I like how McCallum always keeps him turning. Mm. Constantly keeps him turning. And when he that didn't,
0: it- he got slammed. Yep. That's why that's why these level boxes are good cuz he got hit oh god imagine if that one had hit oh man <laughs> I think Tony could have knocked him dead there
3: They they constantly take uh, what uh, presumably should be awkward positions to maintain and yet uh, their balance all, is always Pretty much perfect. How much do you think Serum would be saying 10 8 for Tony? These boxing judges are trash right
0: now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, there you saw McCallum take a staggered, almost, uh, a staggered position with with his feet almost parallel. And yet, despite, despite um, his uh, stance being quote unquote compromised because his ankles were positioned. In a very specific way, at uh, very specific angles, his balance was maintained, and he was able to regain his stance mid-combination. And,
0: and just as importantly, he was fully prepared with his shoulder to chamber something straight and nasty right down the middle if Tony came in. Yep. It isn't just that his balance was in a good position for recovery, it's that he was thinking about what he could offer up behind that. You can see it here. Like You can see his shoulders chambered, even though his stance is a little compromised. Yeah.
2: It's like, Tony's the better one on the inside. And like, you could tell like Tony's positional awareness too, but like McCallum has little veteran tactics like that. Tony's like, oh, he's going to escape on the outside. Nope. Surprise.
0: Another right hand. <laughs> and even that right hand there, like Tony gets him with it real good. But McCallum is, is primed to take it. You know, like he set himself up pretty well to take that shot. Cause you're going to get hit if you fight somebody as good as Tony. There's no point pretending you won't way too many MMA fighters are like, I'm never going to get hit. Bullshit. Don't
3: and care how big get- you are. And then they get hit, and then uh, do a shoulder roll to pretend that they've not been <laughs> the <Ortega laughs> <session>. hit. <laughs> it's just kind of like uh, the Brian Ortega shoulder roll. Get hit with a 15-punch combination by Max Holloway, and then pretend that uh, you still have a guard <laughs> that can protect you from strikes. I <laughs> know it's <laughs>
2: wild that we we we've had about f- over four rounds, and that's the first time Tony has really started hooking off his jab quite a bit. So that that's mm, like, a
0: different layer. And and it's interesting because it, like, you know, normally, it, it, like, hooking off the jab is that type of thing that MMA fighters never do. Tony took a long time to establish the threat of it, and he's really only gone to it after the, like, McCallum's pace, maybe not pace, but McCallum's hand speed has slowed oh, a little. there we go. Yeah, and he's finding this success on the inside and hooking to the body. But it also says a lot about how good McCallum is, that despite being a dedicated body puncher his whole life, he's comfortable getting hit to the body. Like... There's a lot of depth in these fighters
3: yeah it's not like uh fighters that's uh only pressure and then fall apart on the back foot while being pressure i, I want
2: to point something out that just <laughs> happened so one one really important thing to talk about when watching boxing matches is always watch how fighters use the ref so it's like about 30 seconds ago <laughs> mccallum turned tony on the ropes and forced the ref to separate him like that like that's really important because it gets him out of that position And and it takes advantage of the ref's job. Like, fighter boxers, the highest level of boxers, do that. They take
0: advantage of that. I think another thing, because we're kind of getting into the middle rounds, and we've had a pretty strong body attack from both guys, and while the clinching hasn't been a lot, it's been very active. Note how... Even though McCallum is bounding on his feet, compare the way McCallum is bounding on his feet to somebody like Dominic Reyes. Look at how all of McCallum's, quote, bounding, it's in stance, it's in position, it's a—it's setting up another movement behind it. It's actually a pretty energy efficient way to operate. You know, like, theres uh, it's kind of hard to explain the technical specifics to somebody who doesn't train, but McCallum's movements are smooth and fluid like a pendulum, they play into each other rather than just being me bounce on spot because That's- me
3: active. That's the point. He's using the pendulum step. He's not just bouncing because a lot of MMA fighters with uh, let's say I don't know, a, a karate background or fighters who think that movement equals good footwork, they utilize a lot of really Oof, like jeez, Tony ducking under that. They utilize a lot of like upwards jumping movement and either that or just kind of shifting their weight from one foot to another and it's very energy inefficient. Meanwhile, this has been a
2: great kind of rebound round for mccallum after last time he kind yeah. of got clocked earlier but he's been controlling the exchanges with his footwork and jab and just understanding mm. how rhythm
0: works because and he did Tony's- a really good job shutting down the clinches like it, you know both guys were kind of getting about what looked like equal amounts done in them which is a good look for him given how some of the others are gone
2: it's a it's also like tooman said earlier always keep Tony turning because like right in front of it it's like why would I want to trade guns with this bigger guy unless I have like an easy avenue like to the body. Did Tony go for the throat in that first
3: exchange? I, I <laughs> looked like he did but it was kind of hard to tell I mean I wouldn't put it past him to try that <laughs> McCallum jabbing to the chest to sort of uh, also, no, when he, when he,
0: he's doing a little bit more he's jabbing and then pulling his lead shoulder back like, as if to make it a bit easier for him to duck back or slip back, I guess, if Tony yeah. comes back with something.
3: And uh, note how, how they are they're both uh, taking these like miniature, constant little steps to adjust their position oh, in, oh, in the pocket.
0: Oh, that was McCallum, so cool. That was a bad move. I am a wizard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing I was talking about the pendulum step is that McCallum always manipulates the. I guess the, the tension in his ankles. And like w- whenever he doesn't really need to move all that much, he kind of just sort of steps around. And whenever he needs to um, accelerate his movement, the tension in his ankles increases oh. and he kind of hop, hop steps instead of just stepping. Yeah, Mikhail's really, really been using things like that.
2: So a couple of two things I've noticing from both guys. McCallum's been messing with that rear hand of Tony to, like, hook off. That's why he's been double jabbing a lot more. But it also forces Tony to think about that rear hand a lot more. But another thing is Tony's been, like, Ugh. every time McCallum's been throwing back, it's like, oh, opportunity to throw back because I'll take one to give
0: one back because I, I know I can it. take it. To to point out something, While, while Tony has definitely been winning the exchanges, note how as a result of all that jabbing, which is all very good for McCallum, notice how Tony slowly positioned him into the corner of the ring. Like very slowly, he was able to get him into a position where McCallum couldn't escape so easily. Now, McCallum's retaking the center, but this kind of shows that a lot of exchanges and a lot of high level boxing between two boxes isn't just about who's winning on the punches at a given point in time. It's who's manipulating the other guy into a strategic, well, sorry, a tactical position in the ring to win the key exchange. Because Tony didn't win you know, a huge parts of that round per se. It was McCallum active, jabbing, threatening, but look, see, McCallum's back, backed up closer to the ropes, and now Tony can it's, open up. Uh,
3: it's the Yan thing. It's the Peter Yan thing, the kind of uh, quote-unquote giving up the rounds in order to win the fight overall.
2: Tony's started to go.
3: Which is what gives uh, fits to a lot of people who kind of tend to score fights based on uh, the blows landed as opposed to uh, the more, you know, Pertinent. I can, I can so hear
0: you calling out a particular things.
3: patron right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, I, I do think like, that one reason a lot of people misread that kind of stuff is they do not pay attention to the positions of the fighters relative in the ring of the cage and ask the question, who is the advantage here? Because watch, watch these exchanges right now and see where Tony tries to push McCallum across the ring. One of the most important lessons
2: I ever learned with analysis was actually given me by uh, Lukash. Um, it's like, pay attention to the feet. Don't pay attention specifically to what lands. Pay attention to the feet
0: first, then go back and see how much the feet played a role in things. Mm, and look at this this exchange. Yes, Tony wins on the punch, and that's great. But look what happens afterwards. Tony backs him up a little. I'd argue that's actually more important to Tony winning than any of the exchange that favored him. Like, that's the magic. That's why Tony is such a terrifying counterpuncher. It's not just that he can, you know, absolutely blast somebody and dip uh, uh, under in the exchange, it's that he can force them to give up ground while he's doing it.
3: I like how uh, him shifting with his right hand into South Pole also plays a role in that. Because uh, a lot of the time when you see shifting, uh, kind of, if if you watch a lot of MMA, Whenever you see shifting, you kind of uh, there's a, you're kind of compelled to go like ah oh, this again. <laughs> Meanwhile, when whenever Tony does it, it's actually it actually serves a,
0: oh, a, a oh, moves.
3: <laughs> it actually serves a clear purpose.
0: Another thing I'd point out is notice that when Tony does jab back, he's not getting sucked into McCallum's game. McCallum is double jabbing. He's he's, he's throwing you know, straighter and faster and, and trying to use what, what kind of feels like a range advantage, even if it's not necessarily. When Tony jabs back, he's not interested in that. He just throws single shots back because, that number one, that's the mentality he's in, and that's the mentality that's winning a lot of these exchanges, like throwing those key shots and using his hand speed to double up only after he's dominating. But two... He's fighting, he's fight. Yeah, why fight McCallum's fight? Why double jab back? Fuck that shit. Do your stuff. He's found a way to make his jab work, and it's different,
1: and that's fine.
3: Like, the basic thing to make the opponent throw the shots you want them to throw is to kind of, like, I don't know, throw a low kick to make them want to low kick you back and then kind of counter the uh, low kick with the right hand, that stuff. And I think Hagler just hit on it
0: there. McCallum's, uh, I think it's left hand is is, is low and, and there's an opportunity to play off that in exchanges. So by just single jabbing back, you're maintaining the, you know, you're maintaining the hand position of McCallum because that's what he does yep. when he throws. So why not play this game? You might not be quote, winning it quote, but you, you're, you're giving yourself opportunities to score in areas you're stronger.
2: Yeah. McCallum's getting more aggressive because he's recognizing Tony's been counter punching him. So he, McCallum's trying to overload him
0: a bit. Which is a, yeah. a, a good move because Tony really does like to, you know, at, at this point in his career, his inexperience is showing a little. He's not as comfortable throwing back with Venom from the inside when he doesn't feel he's dictating the pace of the exchanges.
3: He's also, I, I would say, he's also not as good off the ropes at this stage in, in his True career. True that. As opposed I to like the, how McCallum
2: just
0: faked
3: that frame in order to hit that left hook there. Yes,
0: and and it also let him push into the clinch, which puts the Tony on the ropes here. Yeah, and, and, and gives Tony the isn't for the body shots.
3: Tony isn't really looking to uh, tie up, uh, and uh, he kind of just maintains his guard and looks to create space with his elbows and then uh, land shots. Which is kind of letting McCallum to, to control. <laughs> that was slick right there.
0: Ooh, he's going... Did he punch him in the shorts there? I loved that. Like, body shot, body shot, shorts. I mean, why not?
3: <laughs>
0: it's how... It's how Ward beat Kovalev.
3: <laughs> it's also kind of... Uh, it, it reminds me of uh, how Frazier would uh, beat up Ali uh, around his, hip, his hips instead of uh, instead of his belly. To kind of you slow know, his movement.
0: It, it's kind of interesting because um, it reminds me of of all things, and this might get some boxing purists to throw hands with me, but fuck them, I'm much bigger than they are. Um, McCallum is kind of habibing Tony in that round in the sense... Uh, so. You know, sorry, other way around Tony was kind of habib McCallum in that round In the sense that he might not have been winning certain exchanges But by keeping the fight going the way it was He was manufacturing situations Like, you know, the the low-hand Hagler was talking about That will win him the fight later I think that's something that Habib does better Than almost anybody in striking exchanges Even if he's losing the striking He's still manufacturing ring positioning Or exchange positions that he knows he can play To his wrestling later in the fight So the Geishi fight, really good example of that
2: So we've kind of got a more inside fight now with like tony trying to one thing we haven't talked about is um this is kind of something you learn a lot when you've kind of sparred in my recent experience but it's like when you're using like different kinds of guards and you faint with your upper body that really messes with the other guy a lot Mm. and these guys have been doing that this whole fight consistently not only like changing guards but constantly messing with, like, where they're standing, especially Tony, because he bends over to generate
0: that much power. Yeah, because we've been talking a bit about, you know, fainting and establishing, like, particularly the jab in different contexts, but not just acknowledging the universalities. But, hey, it's round eight. It's a good time to...
2: One thing this I love crazy. that
1: Hagler. One thing I love about Hagler's commentaries. Hagler just
2: gets like the idea of experience in this fight a lot. Like, a McCallum keeps getting success done. It's like, hey, McCallum's trying to wear him down. So it's like part of the reason Tony has to commit to the fight is
0: because well, McCallum's still that attritional guy, and he's been he's always good at attacking the body. I mean, there, like he like he kind of caught maybe "caught" the wrong word, but he forced Tony into a bunch of real overextensions, and even though he couldn't, you know get a fight-dominating moment off that, he's still making him work a lot. Oof, we're in a phone box now, boys.
2: The fight's been getting gradually at a closer and closer range the last two rounds. It's really, really weird, because, like, at first, Tony was, like, in control of those, but it's like...
1: (laughs) Funny. Nothing personal, kid. Oh. It's... Another thing I love about
2: boxers is they're, they'll foul, and it's like, oh, the ref's not going to stop me? Well, I'll keep doing it then.
3: <laughs> yeah, fouls in boxing are always kind of uh, more subtle and funnier <laughs> than, uh, in, uh, for example, MMA, where it's just some kind of... Uh, Stuff like grabbing shorts and the gloves.
0: Uh, it's, also, it's also interesting how both men are demonstrating their tiredness in different ways. Like, yeah. you know, we're seeing Tony work a bit more off the ropes and, you know, going back to more single shots pacing and McCallum's response is to try and just keep pushing
3: forward. Yeah, he's uh, so in some exchanges, he's just literally hanging on to Tony himself. Yeah. It's
2: kind of making Tony uncomfortable, too, because Tony's trying to expend energy. It's like, why are you doing this? But it, every move McCallum's making is kind of calculated. Like, and plus, McCallum kind of went away from that body attack for a while, and he's really been adding up on it
3: recently. I like how McCallum tries to conserve his energy by unloading on Tony with the throwaway shots and then just hangs onto him. Just kind of give, gives him a big old hug.
1: Yeah, first right
0: himself, there, like, like... <sighs> and it's true. Tony is kind of in, in the last couple of rounds. Uh, perhaps because he's concerned about his energy, he has been trying to load up for power shots that can change the dynamic of a fight. You know, it's like that. Is that going to work against somebody who's such an active body puncher and coming forward? And you probably not.
1: Yeah, there's so much happening in this fight. If you're listening
2: to all this and you're still like, "Oh, you missed this," or like, "Like, I," it's hard to keep up. Don't don't feel bad. We haven't talked about everything. It's just there's a lot going on here.
0: Like, this is high level shit. I also think it's better to talk about the big st- strategic stuff in the first watch of a fight like this, and then talk about the technical stuff later. Yeah. Because a lot of the technical stuff that's being done here is being done in a strategic or tactical purpose, so better to get the big picture right first.
3: Yeah, well, that's and is... I'm also watching this fight for the first time. And let's be <laughs> honest, it's
0: not it's not amazing quality. Like I'm I'm still finding it a little hard to read some of the technical details, especially of Tony's counter punching because it's kind of blurry, you know, like.
3: both kind of giving each other different looks to maybe force the other guy into making a misstep. It's interesting how they talk about
0: that. Like they think Tony's going to the body too late in this fight, which is interesting to me, um, because it's not necessarily wrong, but I think it misses too much of the work McCallum has done to keep Tony off going to the body, particularly McCallum's constant pendulum-like movement on the edge of Tony's range in exchanges.
3: That and him constantly threatening the lead hand uppercut as well. It's it's kind
0: of experience and inexperience playing
2: into each other, too, because it's like, oh, so much has been happening in this fight, it's kind of hard to keep up what works
0: and what doesn't anymore. Exactly, which is why McCallum is having real success going back to the body after a couple of rounds where, you know, maybe he
2: wasn't. Because what McCallum does is McCallum will sometimes just stop attacking the body, and then he'll just bring it back. It's
0: like, surprise, I can do this! Surprise, motherfucker! The thing. Tony's in a phone box now.
3: This this type of argument uh, often uh, I often see this thrown around with respect to the uh, Lomachenko Teofimo Lopez fight. Like, why didn't Lomachenko throw? Why was he so passive for the six rounds? Well, (laughs) that's because Lopez didn't didn't really let him to be active for the first six rounds. Yeah, Tony's trying to use the ropes, but it's not really working because it's just
2: allowing McCallum to, like, manipulate where the engagements happen.
3: I also like how McCallum would uh, kind of hug Tony ac- across the waist and just a slight, uh, just kind of push him to the side to make it easier it, for him to move him. To it's also kind of cool
2: him. how, like, with conventional uses of the clinch, you kind of see them look for, like, those underhooks or, like kind of grab yeah. maneuvers, and McCallum's just putting his shoulder in there and then, like, just kind of turning
0: him with it instead to open up that body attack. And always watch for McC- Like, the Sorry, the inexperience gap is really apparent too, like the experience gap, sorry, because McCallum is poising himself and pacing himself when Tony is on the ropes. You know, like the the idea of all the other guys pushing me to the ropes, I'll let him punch himself out is a meme, of course. But a large part of being on the ropes is, you know, you can get the other guy overextending. Um, McCallum is not that type of fighter.
2: It didn't really show, but between um, the rounds, McCallum kind of has this shit-eating grin at Tony for like the first time of the, <laughs> the fight too, and it's awesome. I love that grin he gives him after that round.
1: It's like, gotcha, bitch.
3: Yeah, McKellum kind of, oh. even though, even though he still gets hit with a really huge counter punches. Just,
0: like, Tony does something he probably should have done earlier in the fight. Just go for it, because the yeah, thing he's is, selling like, out now. Yeah, like, (laughs) McCallum had, you know, he got a good sense of McCallum's timing, I feel, in the first four or five rounds before McCallum was able to get more active and take his eyes off the body threat and reestablish it later. Sometimes you've just got a fucking monkey at the other guy, using the instincts and the reactions that you've learned from the fight, and Tony just went for it.
2: It's also because look how labored McCallum kind of is. Like, he's kind of been, like, relying upon controlling Tony's position, Tony's own exhaustion against him. And so, like, going for it a lot more, Tony kind of read a second there. It's like, oh, your shots don't
0: have the same pop they had earlier. Yeah, like to- and, and it's an experience thing again. McCallum is exhausted too, but Tony kind of almost, you could almost feel like he felt, oh, I don't think he's as tired as I am. Well, he is. You just need to force the world to see it.
3: McCallum just uh, has a better poker face when tired, kind of. And, uh, yeah, I think that- and as a 35-year-old, that- you'd hope so. Yeah, and uh, uh, that earlier grin that McCallum gave him—it's kind of like, "Yeah, I made you, I made you uh, limit your work rate for like the the last nine rounds, and now you're tired."
2: Uh-huh, I, uh-huh, I introduced you to the bullshit Yoel Romero game. What now,
0: bitch? Yeah, but unlike Israel Adesanya, you know, Tony's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and the slower you get... It's it's like the, the uh, Chavez versus Taylor fight. The slower you get, the more the other guy realizes he doesn't need to believe your bullshit. He's gonna keep going.
3: And McCallum just keeps on going. Constant because if, you, if McCallum stops, he dies. He's a Beyblade yes. at this point. If he stops spinning, he's fucked.
0: Yeah. He loves it too. Yeah. The thing because is, like... The- when
2: it's you're tired, a, too, it's harder to keep your hands up. It's harder to, like, keep moving. And So it's like Tony's kind of taking hard advantage to, of that a bit.
3: It's harder to take, to keep moving, and uh, it's harder to keep moving in a way that doesn't get you nailed by something, by, like, homing strikes or hurting strikes. I'm almost going to disagree with that, actually like kind of in my experience
0: in fights that have like gone for over six rounds and you're fucking exhausted i like i almost agree but i almost don't the way i would put it is it becomes so hard to change momentum if you can keep looking forward and pushing the way mccallum is that still feels you know relatively doable but now tony's in your face yeah now tony's in your face now he's punching you now he's forcing you back it's like oh okay and, and and that's why like a lot of boxing fights can change momentum seemingly on a dime because what both fighters are actually exhausted both fighters are in pain but one fighter looks like they're not because they're able to control the momentum and i don't mean momentum in some spiritual bullshit way i mean momentum in a i am walking you down punching you very hard if i'm forced back i just don't have the energy in me to do that as efficiently that's why like you know when we hated on Hajime Nupu, we didn't really mean it as a meme that they didn't talk about like the body attack or tiredness or the weight cut as early as they did. The reason it pissed us off was because here's a real fight where it feels like the momentum is changing, but so much fucking work went into this momentum change from both fighters. And that, you know, the Takamura Hulk fight never talked about any of that, never showed any of that.
2: Yeah. There's, there's a thing if you're going to emulate like real life, you kind of have to talk about how much your pacing is going to play a role. You're going to have to talk about like, Oh how much reasoning is gonna go through this? Wait, it's kind of artificial? What? Well, that's not as fun as it could have been the other way.
3: I think this uh, uh the my verdict, my preliminary verdict for this fight is that it's kind of it's an educational fight for where both guys were at this stage in their careers. Where McCallum is and uh, where Tony is. Tony's showing some despite some inexperience, he's showing the things that would make him an all-time great later on. Meanwhile, McCallum is showing all the craft, all the subtleties of his craft that he's he's been able to develop up until that point.
2: I think uh, another thing worth mentioning we we talked about how like experience plays a role with like boxing matches. The other thing is boxing has a lot more rounds than other combat sports. Yeah, you're going you're going to have more momentum shifts. You're going to have more things happen. Corners get to talk more. All these things matter
3: yeah and uh, the little subtleties start playing more of a role in the later rounds, because the fighter who is able to maintain the more the more, the more subtle uh, approach is usually able to kind of manipulate the optics a little a little better, maybe maintain his momentum once again a little better. as opposed to the fighter who kind of uh, whose composure kind of falls apart and he st- starts stumbling all over the place, selling out. <laughs> then again. Hmm. If 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 it's the later rounds and you're behind, what are you gonna do? Better sell the other out thing is,
2: The other thing is boxing also has a way richer like reservoir of history compared to other combat sports. So of course you're gonna see like I know we've been making fun of all their combat sports a lot because specifically well MMA because it's the one you should make fun of, but MMA is still in kind of a nation stage and you can't really expect them to excel at everything like you can with like boxing. Boxing has the history where, like, guys are o- already have those building blocks and are constantly, like, b- it already has an establishment. So, But it's funner to pick on MMA fighters because, really, they should be better.
3: I mean, it's also fun to pick on boxers because one leg kick and they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Six I, I months bet- of
2: sprawl training. It's I okay.
3: Bet- I, I bet I can blast double James Tony right oh. now.
2: Oh, that's okay. Randy Couture already did.
3: Oh yeah, that,
2: that's, that's true. That's literally true.
0: <laughs> yeah, for because Randy Couture looked a bit like a fucking. He looked pretty big and round at various points in his career too.
3: <laughs> well, big and round, round boys. A, big and round, but in a different way. In a oh, I've been wrestling. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just realized when when Randy Couture was like 13, somebody was like, Randy, Randy, you need to look like a great statue, and he chose Dionysus instead of an of the naked guys.
2: <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, we digress. We're in the last round, and um, both of them are throwing right away. Great.
0: Uh, and, and, and So you both of them
2: know it's the end.
0: Yeah, and I think Tony really does feel that even if he's getting hit, he's probably not going to get knocked down. And and we're at the stage now where this this dynamic should favor him a little more. Not that it's going to come easy against McCallum.
3: I mean, I don't know if it's the Adidas shorts that are throwing me off that McCallum's wearing. But he kind of... kind of, uh, uh, I, I have an inkling of a thought that this is how a Soviet-trained boxer would look like if he were to become a professional fighter.
1: I
0: think I think if I had to say a difference I, like I do think McCallum's power has started to fade um, yeah. and, and that's that's one thing where I think this fight is quite hard to judge because in the early rounds when Tony was getting double jab back he was getting snapped back a little more but there's a lot of little things that you have to have to read into it and, and it, it's almost like a it's almost like a pixie song and that it started slow in the sense you look at like um, Tony's reactions were a bit more exaggerated. He was pausing a bit more for exchanges. Now we're at the end of the fight, and if you weren't consciously thinking, wow, McCallum oh. was making a back," you know? But now Tony can do this. Tony can stand in the phone booth and throw. Uh,
3: because Tony is also 23-year-old.
1: <laughs> and hey, yeah, and, and this is where people start Tony shitting on the no-
2: technique.
0: Like James Tony would... is
2: now Kelvin Gastelum.
3: He's age-bullying him.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and people would be shitting on technique, but they're fucking exhausted.
3: This, is, this has been a 36-minute yep. fight, and this is the thirty-six minute. So who gives a shit about technique,
0: really? If If you're fighting one of the most devastating body punches of all time, in a war that has had some very attritional clinching gauges. he's been hitting you with the body a lot he hasn't just been hitting you all fight he's been hitting you in sustained bursts in fight changing moments you'd be tired too because this this God, whole look fight is breathing look, he, he's actually like breathing mid mid um step and it's shaking him like holy fuck That's something that's really hard to judge. I think, again, it was Fennel or Ryan that pointed this out. Like, um, It's so hard to judge how much extra damage somebody is taking when their mouth is open, but it is significant and you have to look for it. Oh. oh and Tony just, he, he, see, Tony, it's like, Tony is a Pokemon in this fight and he's learned the new skill <laughs> optics. Like, just that, that burst at the end, like, you can tell Tony 100% is like, motherfucker, there is no way you are getting this round.
1: do you reckon Uh, i I was just talking to
0: some guy in the distance like you remember that time i got robbed by leonard you remember that fucking time (laughs) i love
1: that it's trump plaza (laughs) that just adds a new level to this fight
2: fun fact second favorite fight to ever happen at trump plaza if you guess what number one is you get a cookie it hasn't happened yet. The Justice Department <laughs> of New York is working on it. <laughs> okay, third best fight. Because Durant <laughs> Barkley happened. It was very good. So
3: anyways, it was a draw. Ray. Um, uh. I would honestly agree with that decision. I don't I feel think, like it's, uh, it's uh, that indefensible. I think
2: most people think Tony kind of had it more just for those power shots, but it's it's like, how much do you optics-wise like, pay attention to things? Because we, we were talking about this a second ago. It's like, McCallum's tired. His shots aren't doing as much effort, but it's like he's kind of controlling things.
3: He's kind of messing with the rhythm of things. He's that, choosing... that and his volume didn't fall down. Uh, his uh, his output didn't uh, didn't decrease over and the rounds. If anything, it's, it's like, kind of picked up. It's like
2: you're the judges. It's like, oh, with all this crowd sound, can I really tell that his power has just decreased? Do I have that experience to figure that out? No. So you know, it's it's understandable why it's close, and even with like the benefit of knowledge, it's it's still hard to kind of figure that out.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think this is one of those ones where I, if I had to pick it, I think I generally score this card 115, 113 to Tony. I think. I think
2: personally, like most people are like, yeah, it it feels like a draw, but it's like, it kind of feels like Tony earns it a little more. No, but it's,
0: yeah, I kind of, I kind of think this is a fight where I'm not unhappy with a draw, and I'm not unhappy with, um, with Tony winning. I really don't think McCallum won. Um,
3: honestly, mm-hmm. like I'd agree. Uh, McCallum kind of uh, made it. Uh, d- uh, has done his best to make it look like he didn't lose. Uh, I think that that's a fair assessment.
2: Yeah, it's like McKellum had that really good ninth round, but it's it's like Tony had like a couple good rounds there, and it's like, but otherwise it was kind of pretty evenly fought. It's like, yeah, th- there's just a stronger argument for one guy, but a
0: draw feels the most fair, you know? I don't know. I like I I don't know about fairness in boxing per se, like. I, like I think when fairness comes in is when you have fighters like Canelo who have an incredibly high-level boxing IQ called paying off the judges so you can't lose one card every fight. But um in fights like this, I don't know. I if, if I had to kind of like I think I'm like 50-50 on Tony winning by one round or two, and then like maybe like 33 to 50 percent on um a draw. So when I said there's 250s on Tony, I mean like 50% Tony won and then 50% of that 50% is like the margin and then yeah I just... There's a lot of rounds that I don't think are clear or easy to score. Um...
2: Yeah, I think I think we've exhausted the scoring but um, thoughts on the fight since this was your first time, Iggy?
3: Well I think I've uh, I've made my uh, I've made it clear that uh, I, I think this is a, an all-time one of the all-time greats, of uh, at, at least among the fights I've actually watched. Which is, admittedly, not a very long list, but still, uh, definitely a lot of things happening uh, from moment to moment. So, genu- genuinely, actually, very hard to pick up on everything the first time on the, on your first viewing, and. Um, uh, yeah, I would agree that if you're watching for the first time, I would focus on the strategic big picture things, as opposed to what the the fighters are doing from moment to moment. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going to give this one a second viewing, I think, and maybe a third one as well, <laughs> to kind of to just um, uh, sort of pick up on the little subtle technical things as well, as I think, well as um, the bigger, broader picture things.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Kyle calls this kind of fight a two-way technical, and I think I brought this term up earlier, but a good way of thinking of a two-way technical is it's basically two guys who are basically competing in a high-level contest that it doesn't quite become a war, war, you know, but it but it's basically a fight. Like a Triple G versus Canelo, 2 is another one of those. Taylor yeah. Pro Progray is another one of those. Um, Chocolatito, Gallo, Estrada, both 1 and 2 are kind of sketchy kind of categories for that. I, I don't know which one, if it's like a full-on high-level war, or like a full-on, like, two-way technical, but, um, they're both kind of in that fraternity. But it's fights like those, things where you can learn a lot, but it's also just a very, very competitive action fight, and... I, I always think those are really, really cool to watch because you can just... for purists, especially, or just tech nerds. You know, just finding things. And this is considered one of the best ones. It's not my favorite. Uh, I'm not even sure it's, like, my fifth favorite, but it's
1: really, really good. Max,
3: do you have any comments? Punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those fights that... Uh... You could be used as, um, as a great study material, if that makes sense. Because uh, a lot of this, uh, the things that um, both fighters do is uh, kind of... They kind of exhibit most of the uh, typical... Uh, typical, I don't know, crafty fighter things that you can emulate in order to either... Well, that's you, that you can either emulate or learn from to better than to better analyze the fights that you watch.
0: I, I think if I was to make a comment, something that I would say is, now I know there's always controversy about scoring systems in martial arts, right? And I, I know that you know <laughs> Ryan loves to say this sometimes. Uh, what if that was done on Wei tie scoring? And I think um, if this was scored on the narrative of the fight uh McCallum probably loses like quite quite clearly and what i always find interesting when you have these uh veteran versus uh, young youngen fights is if it's a fight where it is incredibly contested i think in, even if you don't think that it's close i think everybody can agree that fight was very contested you know Um, I think something that makes this a very interesting fight to study is, and and maybe people disagree with me, I think if you score that on a fight basis, um, McCallum's case for winning or drawing becomes a lot smaller. So I think this is a very interesting fight to study to understand and appreciate how McCallum tried to control the fight so that he could get more success on a round-by-round basis than he could on a fight overall narrative basis if that makes any sense i think that's interesting to study i think
2: i think that's always a a really good point to bring up because not every fighter is going to have the exact same intangibles as another one so it's like how do they leverage their attributes or specific fight to win it's like like you you can't punch as hard as this other guy you're not as fast as this other guy you're not as young as this other guy so what are you going to do with those characteristics well maybe i have a better job than that guy Maybe I better footwork. I better manipulate those to maximal like success in order to make that work. And
3: I mean, those don't. Well, that's don't... and uh, also McCallum leveraged his experience a lot more. Uh, like as the as the fight went on, things like making uh, Tony carry his weight in the clinch or kind of uh, kind of keeping him turning, hugging him around across around the waist to kind of. Uh, Uh, nudge him in that direction or the other stuff like that.
0: Something that I think is interesting is that Tony's team told him he was losing that fight. And I know that the general opinion of commentators is that at that stage, Tony, they feel Tony was winning. And um, I, I, I'm a little more on the fence with that, but I still think that was actually probably the most important piece of advice given by either corner because the way McCallum was fighting and the awareness he was showing of how to control pace and the fact that McCallum's pop on his punches, so to speak, was falling off in the fight, I think Tony's... tony's camp were absolutely correct to tell him he was losing that fight and to fight like he was losing as in go out and and keep pushing and keep winning because i think if he hadn't done that if he hadn't in particular really gone all out on the pressure not even necessarily winning rounds but on trying to bring the pressure in the last three rounds i don't think he would have had the um, ability to control the fight and secure you know what many people felt was a win. Like it, it it's kind of a weird situation where by essentially lying to their fighter, they, I think forced him mentally to fight in a way that, you know, make gave him a much better chance of winning in the last stages. And if they hadn't done that, I think he might've actually made the mistake of trying to walk one or two of those last rounds in and could have lost.
3: Well, that, are, <laughs> that, kind of, uh, that kind of reminds me of how, um, Uh, uh, This may be apocryphal, but uh, I've heard uh, and I've read somewhere that um, maybe it was Jack Slack who mentioned it, that uh, Angelo Dundee would kind of stroke uh, and manipulate uh, Muhammad Ali's ego by telling him, Oh, I love that uppercut. I love that uppercut. Throw more uppercuts. Despite the fact that Ali hadn't even thrown an uppercut that round at all. (coughs) And so he would then go go into the next round and start actually throwing uppercuts because Angela and D actually wanted him to throw them. But he if he told him if he straight up told him to throw uppercuts, Ali would have likely didn't do it because that's that's just how that's just how stubborn he was. it's um it's really interesting because we are i
2: I know I mentioned this earlier. It's like you had these two corner men in like Miller and Futch who added to like a lot of the brains of this fight too and we often think about like oh it's just the fighters in there but they have corners for a reason those corners like give them advice they can manipulate a lot of action and and it's like i, I always think the most famous like corner case ever we just talked about Angela and tundee it's like ray leonard's victory over tommy hearns it's like if maybe not for that piece of advice ray leonard might have thought hey i'm might have been in a close fight or oh how am i gonna push now and dundee's like you got three rounds left kid and you know what you're fucking up do better and leonard's like an angry madman when it's like things don't go his way so he's like fuck this i'm gonna bomb you out no matter how hard
0: you're gonna hit me and he did it there was another one i think um uh, like which I, I genuinely don't know which corner of our supporters was basically like if you don't go across the ring and knock him out in the next two rounds we're fine no, I,
2: I, know, I know what you're talking about but I'm going to save it I'm going to save it for a di- different day because I know exactly which fight <laughs> it, it is because I promise you Iggy has not seen it and it's really good
0: I mean yeah like uh, that was that was the supreme memory of cornering it's like you realize you're going to lose this if you don't go and kill him you better go and kill him
3: kills him yeah I mean, Dan. If you bring up uh, basically any fight at random, chances are I've I likely ha- haven't seen it. <laughs> I don't I actually. So. I don't actually watch many fights.
2: No, no, no. But it's important that I bring it up n- non-splitly things because it's like that. That one especially is like really, really famous. Especially like modern. it's, it's.
3: You'll understand what I mean when we see it one day i swear to christ if it's yo romero versus israel adesanya
2: it is isn't mma oh my god i'm not gonna make you watch a bad mma (laughs) fight with me besides (laughs) O'Sunarchi versus bob sap and
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's so like just to clarify we're not talking about we're talking you're talking about a modern fight right
2: yeah i'm talking about a modern fight
0: like in the last 10 15 years
2: yeah. Uh, okay. So we're not talking
0: about Chavez, but Chavez was a pretty, cl- pretty classic one. <laughs> Where it, like his, his corner basically was like, if you don't do do it for your fucking family, go out there and knock him out. Like around, they pretty much told him that, and it's like, yeah. Uh, oh, I yeah, suppose Chavez it's um, Taylor.
2: Oh, you were I talking about Chavez uh, Taylor? I was thinking of something no, no, else. I wasn't
0: talking about Chavez Taylor, but, like, I just... Because the thing is, you've got your boxing knowledge from Kyle, right? And Kyle is sufficiently old like me that he would probably call I Chavez get Taylor. I all
2: my knowledge from
0: Kyle. <laughs> he forces you I to mean, watch I, stuff. No, he doesn't. But, um... <laughs> yes, he does. Don't lie. You're in a safe space. He can't get you. <laughs> but, no, oh, uh, I was just going to make a joke there about how, like, according to me and Kyle... T- uh, the Chaffetz Taylor's is still a new, like a modern fight because we're ancient. So,
3: <laughs> I
0: just to make sure you didn't mean that one.
3: Uh, I mean the thing about uh, corners is that a lot of uh, co- I, I gen- generally prefer corners that uh, give for tactical advice as opposed to corners that just, yo, know, do it for your family, do it for your mummy, do it for your daddy, etc., etc., etc. But uh, I suppose um, there are times when. This type of uh, uh, I don't know I guess advice is warranted because uh, when uh, when a fighter is at the point where they've uh, essentially at the pinnacle of their technical ability, do you really need them to? Do you really need to give them tactical advice all that much? I don't know. I, th- I think the, I think the key is
0: you want to look for stuff that you think your fighter is missing, and yeah. usually that's strategic, but sometimes that is that is um tactical.
3: Yeah, either tactical or strategic or sometimes maybe they just simply need uh a morale boost and that's pretty much it. Uh I just yeah I, I just posted what
0: um Chavez's corner said. Like that's that's about as good as you're ever gonna see for a, you better kill him or you're gonna lose
2: you're I, think stronger we,
3: than him.
1: I think um I think on that note
2: uh this this was fun. Um I think we have wrapped up most of the threads to this one. Um, any closing I mean, statements?
3: The, the, I mean, there's still stuff to discuss uh, about the fight itself. Maybe the moment-to-moment uh, stuff, but uh, I mean, that's neither here nor <laughs> the there. <pressure> <laughs> stuff, <laughs> you know, we, we can we can t- go we can go over this stuff for like for five hours straight, and uh, it's kind of unfeasible, <laughs> and also would make for a really really boring listen. Really boring listen, I think. Uh, but then, uh, the fight side patrons, uh, the fight side uh, listeners, and subscribers are psychos. So maybe they'll actually like it. But I don't know.
2: they they like the fiftieth anniversary podcast. What the fuck is wrong with all of you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and hey, <sighs> I mean, it was fine. It was fine then.
2: It was fine, but I was also sick. Kind of. I mean.
3: I mean from moment to moment uh, that podcast uh, that podcast doesn't really exceed the general craziness that's usually that that usually is there in uh, any given Tangridome episode. <laughs> I say a lot of weird
2: uh, stuff. that that's that's true. Uh Okay, right. I, I got nothing. I got nothing.
3: Alright, I uh, guess we are uh yeah.
0: I would just add that I think like the example of um I would kind of say something along the lines of, I think that fight, to maybe just take it to an MMA-specific example, I think that fight gives a really, really good indicator from both fighters of why, like, when we say stuff like, I'll just use a specific example, if Max continues to develop his proficiency on the counter and improve his defensive responses a little, if you look at the early exchanges in that fight where Tony is like, you know, that his the proficiency with which he counter punches gives him opportunities to, you know, offer more than just me throw a lot of punches. Oh no, it no work. You hit me out of rhythm. Me sad now. Um, it shows how like you know adding something like that to a fighter who's already as good as Max would just take him up another gear. And he's already like a top five all-time great pound for pound. So, you know, that's why when we focus on boxing and we talk about mixed martial arts, yeah, we rag on mixed martial arts a lot, but the point is more to show if you can learn stuff from people in specialized areas of fighting that are just better than you, it really can take you to another level.
3: Yeah, and uh, I think it was the point that we've made uh, about... um the, uh, the cater performance where Max actually started using elbows and knees to add uh, something with a little bite on it to his, uh, to his game, which uh, may play a role in the next Volkanovski fight. That is, of course, if Volkanovski hasn't fallen off due to COVID. We or may yet see it. it doesn't mean, you know, I'm not even considering that outcome, really. I don't want, I don't want to, but it's possible. <laughs> It'll probably happen.
0: I'm not allowed to have any like Australian fighters that I actually <laughs> enjoy for more than six months. It's that time of year again. Great.
1: I'm not yelling. Go on fuck these yourself.
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't no think we. I don't think we have anything left to say. Uh, this
0: was we fun. Should, we should abuse the person that asked us to do this no one asked to do this no one actually asked us <laughs> oh. to
3: do this we just made we just did this we 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 just did this out of our own volition uh, okay you, so we you... should
0: abuse each other but we've already done that oh yeah. fuck!
3: <laughs> what what is it with the uh, you and uh like you both and uh innuendos this whole morning what what the fuck is what the fuck is wrong with you first dan Compares uh, when when he talks about Julian Jackson, he says that he's going to fuck it to death. Okay, the story
2: the story behind that is first of all I'm an idiot. Second of all, I remember this one comic book with Superboy Prime. And he's like, "I'll kill you to death." And I just thought of that. But okay, like-
0: so I, I never thought I would ever reference this in a serious conversation, but I'm going to quote a very dear friend of mine, Elizabeth, when she said, <laughs> when she said, uh, you, "None of you know her." When she said she watched a Julian Jackson fight for the first time ever, and she said, "Julian Jackson, the original star of Black dot com." Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> he's going to fuck
3: you to death. <laughs> Keeping it playfully racist. That's TFS for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: We're, we are all going to get fired. You say that every podcast and it never happens. It's good. it's going to happen. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. All right, uh, uh, See you next week, I guess. Uh, this has been Pugilistic Classics episode 2 sponsored by Black.com.